Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. What about uh, vocally? You know, how much did you guys um, impact the arrangements or how would you decide who would do lead and that kind of thing? Well, that's when we finally got the opportunity to uh, participate in the, the creation of it. And because we were twins, um, you know, we would kind of we kind of knew who should sing what part. Now, we argued a lot, Scotty and I, I hate to tell you this, <laughs> because we both wanted to sing more than we did. I wanted to sing the whole song and he wanted to sing the whole song, you know, but, but uh, we would listen to the song from start to finish. And Scotty was always more blues oriented. I was pretty oriented, kind of like the stylistics. And what we would do, we would integrate the part that we felt was more me, the guy that sang pretty. I'd do that part in the song. If there was a blues part of it, like Lady, Scotty sung all of Lady. That was all him. That's kind of was his vein, you know. And uh, we, that's how we decided who was going to do what, you know. Yeah, we had a, we had a, what we called we had a bebop element. Which was is really a mixture of blues and jazz, and then we had back in that Delphonic stylistic blue magic. That's where we had we could and we could sing all of these elements like the and lush like, kind of sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To, to to your credit, what I'm what I'm fascinated by, and you're right when you said a lot of people don't realize they they heard the change coming in. You did because you said it. And, and I very seldom do I hear people come in and say, yeah, you know, I heard a little, you guys starting to change back when you did this. Because we, we love jazz, but we realized that it, jazz just wasn't going. So every opportunity we got, you would hear phrasing, you'd hear scatting, you'd hear blues licks. Those, because, because we did do those more naturally. But when we got to the R&B, we kind of did what was the latest, you know, the latest style. And luckily for us, we could imitate it. Yeah, the one thing that differentiated us from the the vocal groups like the Temptations, the Dramatics, if you remember, they all had these bass singers that were almost as more well known than the lead singer. I mean, Otis was was as well known as Dennis and and, and any of the lead singers with the Temptation. The Whispers did not have a bass singer. We came from, like I said earlier, the four freshmen, you know, the high lows. You know, we sing the four or five part harmony with no bass. That's what made us different from the vocal groups that were recording at that time. And we integrated the R&B sound with no bass. And that's kind of what we were known for. 
you know, it's so unusual in the music industry the way you guys, you know, had sort of like a, a double career as a way, in a way, as you know, you had your, your early career and, you know, with the Philly stuff, and then you had yeah. this like renaissance rejuvenation where you became bigger than you ever had been. And right. there aren't many acts that have done that. I mean, I was trying to think of some, and maybe sort of like Cool and the Gang maybe kind of did that where they changed yeah. it up and they yeah. became even bigger, um, but very, very unusual. So such a credit to you guys. Yeah, we were very lucky. Uh, from 1980, little did we know, in 87, we were going to come in contact with these two young guys. From uh, One was from Ohio and the other one was from Indianapolis, which was Kenny Edmonds and uh, L.A. Reid. We happened to be at the jazz concert that we did every year in Atlanta, and they were down there actually hustling songs. They, they were trying to get people to, to listen to their songs. Right. And if you remember, these two young guys were members of a group called The Deal who all wanted to be like Prince. And it's funny, I never will forget, Kenny would came to us, people don't believe us when we say this. Kenny would say, man, The Deal, they, like, they don't like any of my songs. <laughs> so I'm gonna submit them to you guys. And if you remember, uh, when, he came, when he came within the mood, The Deal didn't like that. The Deal, if you remember, they looked like Prince, they wanted to sing like Prince. You know, these guys wore makeup. They had their hair permed. Or like the time. Yeah. Kenny, you remember exactly. that? Yeah. <laughs> and Kenny was writing songs, and they didn't like any of them. So, of course, he submitted most of his songs to group like The Whispers. But they fitted The Whispers. They fitted The Whispers they, more they, than they, they did The Deal. The yeah, know. it was incredible. The, the style that we were singing was, you know... That was the first time I seen grown men wearing makeup and earrings and you know, we just can't and it wasn't a generational thing, it was just a style thing that Well it was it originated with Prince. If you remember yeah. that's that's what he did. You know, yeah, he wore the makeup and had the earrings and so forth. So the deal wanted to be very much like him. He was just four princes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. They all wanted to be Prince in their own way. But anyway, from nineteen eighty one and then lo and behold, seven years later. We meet these two young guys in 87, and uh, we're in the studio with them, and uh, we had finished uh, In the Mood, and uh, Lavelle went up to uh, Kenny, Babyface, and said, man, we need, we need something like And the Beat, man. He said, we really wish you guys, what do you think about trying to come with something like that? And Babyface said to him, don't worry about it, we'll come back with something tomorrow. <laughs> so we laughed. We said to ourselves, these two young guys, they just said they're going to come back tomorrow night with something as big as that and the beat goes on. You know, we laughed to say that shows you when these young guys, they're cocky. You know, they, they're really talking like what they don't know what they're talking about. Lo and behold, they come back the next night with rock steady. <laughs> and the rest is history. Exactly. <laughs> Wow, and that that was such a huge hit, especially you know, like I was saying, when I, my disc jockey work. I mean, people couldn't get enough of that. Uh, it was so yeah. infectious. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, we had big fun cutting that song. Yeah, yeah, it's a love thing. I don't, if you remember um, from the Lakeside guys, pardon me, Stephen Shockley and the Lakeside guys. Oh man, Jesus! You know, this was a, a group of people. This is what was so great about Dick Griffin. He assembled all these young guys. Because Solar was so hot, acts were coming from all over the country. Midnight Star, they were from Ohio, Dayton. Uh, Lakeside, they were from Dayton, Ohio. And uh, Steve Shockley was the guitar player. But uh, they all wanted to be on Solar Records. 
And if it, just like you said, if you remember, the hits were coming at a rate that nobody expected. I mean, uh, Lakeside came with, uh, what's their big hit? Uh, Fantastic oh Voyage. Fantastic Voyage. Uh, 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 Leon Silvers came with uh, Make That Move. I mean, that was just one of the many hits of Shalimar. And, of course, we had uh, the Rock Steady thing. And Solar, at that point, was just, it was, it was no stopping them, you know? It, it just couldn't be stopped. The hits were coming at a rate that nobody ever predicted. Well, it's a love thing. I mean, it's just such a pocket groove on that. And I, ha I had Wardell Potts has been on the show. And, oh, um, man, he played on that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was Leon's group, man. Yeah, that was the members of Dynasty. They, uh, uh, Wardell Potts. I'm trying to think, what's the, what's the other guy that wrote the songs? The guy they, they had the, Dina Myers. Dana Myers. Dana Myers. Wardell you know, Potts. Wardell Leon. Potts. Yeah, these, these guys were all musicians. Kevin Spencer. Kevin Spencer. They all were members of Dynasty. But now they were playing what, this is when Leon begrudgingly, he didn't want to stop doing his own thing. He had to finally relent and let other musicians play what he used to start from the beginning. He no longer was on the floor with the drum set. I mean, you know, Wardell Potts became his his drummer because he played what he he played the way Leon wanted him to play. Mm -hmm. Wardell Potts was an incredible drummer. You know, keeper. yeah, timekeeper. Mm -hmm. You know, Anna Myers he played the keyboard. Will Shelby was a keyboard player, one of the brothers of Lakeside. I mean, man, I just and when I think about that, all this this uh, creativity was flowing through this label. These young guys were in their prime, and everybody was benefiting, man. They wrote some great songs, great musicians. Well, they, their exuberance, you know, flowed through your music, which, you know, oh, really helped keep you guys, uh, you know, tied into, the, you know, the youth as well as, you know. Oh, there's no question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, keep on Loving Me, definitely one of my all-time favorites. And uh, uh, Wardell. Potts told told me a story about that uh, he had to coax you to do that uh, Scotty part in the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was yeah, that, 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 that was yeah. Tell that story, Scotty. The story went uh, I, when Leon first came and explained to me what he actually wanted. It, it just didn't make sense to me, and I used to say, I told him I said, man, you know, hey Scotty, what that mean? I said, what what does what mean? You know, like <laughs> what do you you know? But anyway, we went through a thing, and Nick Nick Caldwell, who we lost in 2016, and Lavelle Degree, the other member of our group, they took me outside, and then we almost got into it. <laughs> you know, it got to be so crazy because I couldn't hear myself saying that. The one thing I learned from that whole experience, I don't care how well you sing, this is when I learned the true power of a good producer. Producing is one thing, singing is another. And what, what usually happens, depending on how well a guy sings, they for some reason it's very difficult for them to have a guy who don't sing that will tell them, give them licks. And I was going through that. And I had I actually had to go back and say to Leon Silvers, you'll never have that problem out of me again. I know you can't sing as well as me, but the licks that you gave me because I did that, we had the biggest record of our lives. So what that taught me is that respect the producer. Don't compete with him. You know, because you think, you know, Leon was an okay singer, but he wasn't like Eddie LaVert or one of the guys with the man. But his ideas, 
and the licks that he did come up with meant everything. Because if I'd have done it the way I wanted to do, I don't think we'd have had a hit record. No, you would not. In yeah. fact, in fact, that's what Nick said to Scotty. He said he to Scotty, and remember, we've come in this studio before, and we saw Leon on the floor with the drum set. And he knew in his head when he finished with that section of drums what he was going to do. So we tried to tell Scotty that he knows the same thing about Leon said, Scotty, I want you to say, hey, Scotty, what that mean? And Scotty said, what does what mean? <laughs> he could not get it in his head. In my head. So but he should have known that Leon had the whole orchestration already in his head. Mm -hmm. And as Scotty said, uh, that, went, uh, that went on to become one of the biggest songs that we've ever had. Right today, if we don't do that in concert, we probably get rocks thrown at us. Yeah, well, just the uh, the groove of that one, man. Wow, and uh, and that vocal part is key to it, you know. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. All that's all Leon really. Silvers, man. And thank God he had the Wardell Potts and the, the rhythm section that he had because they executed. He knew that Leon knew what he wanted, and these guys like Wardell, they knew how to give Leon what he wanted. Man, it was a it was a can't miss. I mean, it was just locked in. And you guys also had such a good balance of the up tempo and the slower stuff, and you know, did did you have a personal uh, preference, you know, in terms of the type of material that you did? Yeah, to be honest with you, before and the beat and rock steady came along, the whispers were known as a balladeer group. I mean, you know, we were, you know, learning our craft. And we basically sang mid-tempos, seems like I gotta do wrong, Olivia lost and turned out, love is where you find it. You know, we were known as a group that basically sang ballads and mid-tempos. But lo and behold, the two biggest songs that we ever had were up-tempos. So it was just icing on the cake. When they came along, we just merely had the, the luxury of doing what, we've all, what we were always doing, which was ballads and mid-tempos. And here we got these two monster hits that, that were up-tempos, and man, it just couldn't have gotten any better. And well, you said one of your favorite songs was Keep On Loving Me. The one thing I liked about Leon, even, and you hear it in that particular song, Leon allowed you to put some of your, you know, there's actually scattered in Keep On Loving Me that, that I actually came up with, but only because he liked it, he allowed it to be in the record. But that was the other good thing about Leon. He knew what was commercial and what wasn't. But like Walt said, over, the biggest thing, he knew in his head what the results was going to be anyway because he had it all figured out. But Leon was one of these guys that, like, we kind of mixed. When you hear, rip, bip, bip, do ba do ya da dip that ain't nothing but bebop. When Leon heard that, he said, oh, yeah, that worked for the record. Now, Keep On Loving Me was one of the biggest up-tempos that we had. And that was R&B mixed with bebop, in my opinion. Yeah. But it's because he allowed it. Oh, my dad loved that. Yeah, he heard that. <laughs> when he heard that, yeah. When he heard that song and Scotty did, the, did get the scat, he said, now uh, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> finally. He's like, finally. Yeah, finally. Yeah. <laughs> it's about time. Exactly. <laughs> well, those, those records, I mean, they sounded uh, perfectly at home on the radio or in a club, you know? I mean, they just were ideal for any environment and of course for your shows you know and what what were your shows like in those days oh man they were incredible because basically i you know the, the vocal group era was one unlike what we see today with uh hip-hop 
all the vocal groups, we would tour with, you know, the Dramatics, the Temptations. You know, we always open for the Temps, the Delphonics, and all of these groups had their own style. You know, Curtis Mayfield, the Impressions. So when you heard these groups on the radio, you know, you knew immediately who they were. So when you went to see them in concert, you saw these different styles of how they presented their music. And I never will forget, we, we, we happened to be uh, touring one week with the Stylistics and the Delphonics. Now, that was two ballad-oriented groups with a group that had a hit like And the Beat Goes On. And I never will forget this. The style, not the stylistics, the, uh, the Delphonics in particular, our show was lively. You know, we did a lot of routines. We did the splits. And uh, the guys in the Delphonics, for some reason, I think they got a little intimidated because the crowd went so crazy about what we were doing. They attempted to do more up-tempos than what they were known for. And I never will forget, we, I told the two, the two brothers, you know, William and, and uh, his brother, we had a, I said, man, you know what? Be what you are. You can sing your hits all night long. You don't have to do no up-tempo that sounds like and the beat goes on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you got enough hits, but they really, for one night, they tried to do more up-tempos and it be like the, it came out of their bag. It, it, big, it, mistake. big mistake. And you know what? From that point, years later, we saw them. They said, thanks for giving us the, this advice. Because every group had their own style. If you saw the Shy Lights, you know, with Marshall and, and, and uh, the lead singer there, what's his name? I forget the, the lead singer. Yeah, absolutely. They had their own style. OJs. The OJs, they had their own style. The Temptations had their own style. The Dramatics. And people loved it. It was such a, it was such a great time to be on tour with these groups because it was, it was R&B actually personified. It was R&B at its best. Did you ever go out uh, on, like, solar, strictly solar-type bills? Yeah, we went out with the Solar Galaxy of Stars, and boy, what a tour that was. Now, we probably were the oldest group with the biggest hit, but this was the, uh, when we went out with that package, Shalimar ended up being really the, big, the biggest attraction because their hits were so big. But what, what, I mean, I, I never will forget this. We, it was Lakeside, Shalimar, Dynasty, and The Whispers. And Carrie Lucas. And Carrie Lucas. And man, we, we, just, we just filled the arenas. I mean, we packed it in. You know, it was just an incredible time for Solar Records. Yeah. Now, Rock Steady, you know, was your only top 10 pop chart yeah. record. Um, did you guys ever wonder why you didn't have more crossover hits? Yeah, well... I think at the time it was the way that the industry was because And the Beat Goes On was bigger than, than Rocksteady and it should have been a pop hit. Mm -hmm. That's the one that we got nominated for a Grammy, you know, but, but yet Rocksteady entered the pop charts, which tells you where the industry was then. Mm -hmm. Because there's no way that if, Rock, if And the Beat sold 2 million and Rocksteady sold 1.5, you'd have to assume that Andy Beat was a bigger pop hit than Rocksteady, but it wasn't perceived like that. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised when I went back and looked and saw yeah. that there was actually only one top 10 pop hit because it seemed yeah. like, I said, like so many of them were crossover hits in my mind. Yeah, yeah. You know? But you guys did an amazing thing also in that you kept charting hits into the 90s even. 
Uh, you went to Capital and you had success there. I mean, how do how do you think you you kept it going so long when so many others fell by the wayside? It was the two things. We had enough sense to record R&B music, and we were smart enough. By the time we had got to Capital, they had given us the opportunity to have our own production company. And, uh, you know, it started, but little did we know, Capital ended up closing down the whole black section of music. But uh, more of the night, we, 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 you're right, our fans were, man, just loyal. Even to this, here we are 54 years later. And our fans are the biggest reason that we're still here. You know, our, you know, thank God we sang R&B music. I, you know, you, you played it, so you know the staying power. R&B music was, will never go anywhere. And it, we, we, we recorded 27 albums of R&B music. So, man, it just gives us a great advantage to go out to this day because we can still sing 54 years later. And, uh, you know, we worked before the, the, the COVID-19 came along. You know, we, we worked about eight months out of the year, uh, you know, doing the same thing that we've been doing our whole career. Wow. I, I mean, you had incorporated or the producers, whoever, incorporated some current elements and the sounds of those 90s records and into the 2000s, but never where it became so trendy that it wasn't the whispers, you know? Oh no, we had enough sense. Yeah, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, and stay who you are. You know, be who you are, not who you ain't. Yeah, you know, uh, our fans—they all—they tell us all the time. We always know when we hear a whisper song that it's the whispers. They're not trying to sound like anybody else, and we, you know, we we uh, we uh, we value that. You know, we've always tried to sing the way we sing. Never tried to be anything that we weren't, and it, it's worked because here we are, fifty-four years later. That's that's quite a long record. Uh, it's incredible. Just congratulations so much to, to both of you guys. So let's talk a little bit about that, that new record. Um, you know, I heard it uh, or I read that it had been uh, kicked around a while. It was kind of waiting for the right moment to, to come yeah, out. Yeah, and uh, yeah. for, for better or for uh -huh. worse, given yeah. you know what's been going on in our world, uh, yeah. the timing is right. But uh, can, you, can you talk about that? Yeah, it came about, uh, you know, we were all at home. If you remember, COVID-19 had everybody at home. Nobody was out. And uh, that particular day, we were all watching TV, and George Floyd ended up with that knee on his neck. And, uh, I mean, it was devastating. I had never seen anything like that on television. And uh, we were in the process before COVID-19 hit. We hadn't recorded in a long time. So we were in the process of trying to come with a new record that had nothing to do with the message oriented. We, you know, like I told you, we were kind of known as balladeers, mid-tempo guys. So we were coming with a song that really addressed the ladies like we always did. But lo and behold, we're watching TV and we see this guy with a knee on his neck and that happens. And then uh, our bass player, he had a song that he wrote in 1983 called How Long? Dealing with the Russian Missile Crisis. And he said, guys, my song... He called us and said, man, this is a song that we've got to put out because it deals with what's going on right now. Because the George Floyd situation was very much like, seems like I got to do wrong back in the 60s. You know, we had the watch riots and we were trying to tell a story. So when we heard the song, How Long, uh, the lyrics just lent itself to dealing with what the situation that we're in today so we, uh, we said, man, we got to get this song recorded and put out. But, of course, we're in the middle of COVID. How are we going to do this? 
Well, Lavelle lives in Las Vegas. We live in Los Angeles. So we call Lavelle. We said, man, look, you got to get down here. You know, can you fly down? We, we can record in Scotty's garage. Lavelle says, I'm not getting on a plane and flying nowhere. You got to be out of your mind. He said, I'll drive down. So he came down from Vegas. And uh, we actually recorded the song How Long in Scotty's Garage wearing masks. Now, Scotty's wife is a stickler for social distance. By that time, this was in April. You know, everybody was uh, wondering how we were going to get this done. So we'd go out and uh, Magic, the bass player who lives in Atlanta, he did agree to fly out with one guy, with his, with his uh, mate. And we got the song done, recording it in Scotty's Garage. I'd go out, take my mask off, sing my part, put the mask back on, go back to Scotty's house. He'd come out in the garage with Magic, sing his part, and so with Lavelle. And that's how we got the song done. And uh, the lyrics, we think, really deals with what's going on. It dealt with what was happening at that time with the murder of George Floyd. And we were asking the question simply of how long we're going to have to keep putting up with this. And uh, that's how it got done. And we're very proud of it because we think it really deals with what's going on today. Yeah, I mean, um, congratulations on it, you know, and especially having to deal with all that to get it done. Oh, oh man, yeah. it was, yeah. But we were determined, yeah. Yeah, we wanted to get it done. When I first uh, heard about it and saw the video, I was just, first, you know, first thing I was just glad, you know, you guys were back again. Yeah, yeah, yeah we were too. We were, yeah. And then, uh, you know, hearing and seeing, you know, how uh, timely it was too. I mean, it's just so uh, poignant and resonated yeah. so much. Um, what kind of, um, you know, feedback have you guys gotten on it? It's doing well. You know, we, uh, you know, we didn't get the, uh, it's all through the internet, you know, all the, on the different uh, uh, platforms. platforms, you know, it's, you know, uh, Spotify, Apple, it's all over the place. And uh, we're doing what, like what we're doing today. You know, we, we've uh, gotten pretty good internet airplay on it and it's doing really well. It's in keeping, most of our fans are really appreciative of it because it's in keeping with what we've always been about. We've always had the message music starting with seems like I got to do wrong to Olivia lost and turned out. And then I hear we come with, with how long, how long is kind of in the same vein. So our fans appreciate it very much. But of course now we're, we're very much, we wanted to get something out for Valentine's day, but here in Los Angeles, the COVID got worse. So it kind of held us back putting everybody together, but we're, but we're hoping that we can come with something in um, April or May you know, that's new. We can, you know, go back to what we were planning to do. But so that's what we're in the process of trying to do now. And, you know, as far as recording goes, I mean, um, you guys were just mainly preoccupied with performing the past decade or so and, and weren't going into the studio or? Yeah, we performed, uh, hadn't done much recording. As I said, we did mostly touring. Uh, we tour about eight months out of the year. You know, our schedule, we've been playing the same venues for over 30, 40 years. So, you know, we just really enjoy that. But man, uh, COVID, man, I've missed what what I can't wait to get back on stage in front of our fans because, wow, as you know, I mean, this has really been something, man. I mean, it's it shut everything down completely in terms of music. You know, the last thing people want to do is be in an audience, you know, with someone singing in front of them, you know. Yeah, but uh, I think things are going to light up. I think we'll, we'll, we'll. I think before the year is out, we're going to get back out there. Well, I sure hope so. I'm so glad. You know, you guys have kept safe during this madness. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. 
you know. Do you think we might see a new record end of the year? Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think uh, you're going to see the record even before you see us. Yeah, we're going to put something out. Hopefully, we well, it's been too long. Matter of fact, we, I can tell you exactly because we're very excited. We have a record that we, we're just waiting to get it out. It's, it's simply called It's Been Too Long, and we're very excited about it. You can you, you when you hear it, you say, "Yeah, they told me about this record." Yeah, that's and the whispers. It's, it's straight up whispers. You know, it's nothing else. We're not trying to be nothing but the whispers. But we're very excited about that. Just remember that title. It's been too long. We're coming with it as soon as we're able to. Oh man. Well, so before we wrap this up, guys, and definitely looking forward to that, that record. It's good news for sure. Um, what What would you say? Um, through this all, or all of this, this great career you guys have had, and without talking about that, uh, and the beat goes on, what are you most proud of accomplishing in the in the music business? Well, let me start with this. I'm, I'm most proud of us, uh, and I tell young kids as we speak to them a lot, of uh, not giving up on our dream. When we started out in the projects in Watts, California, we had no idea that we'd have a 50-year career. But what it really speaks to is that uh, 1978, 79, if I remember I told you about how disco came in and we kind of considered, man, if this don't work, you know, how much time, you know, our parents were saying, you got to do something constructive. Thank God, I'm so proud of the fact that we stuck to it. Because as a result, you know, I can clearly say as today, I, who would have ever dreamed of having a 54-year career? You know what I'm saying? And so we tell young people all the time, if you have a dream and you really believe in it, stick to it. Don't give up. Because we're prime, the whispers are a prime example of by sticking with it, uh, the longevity can come about. Yeah, he, he says we couldn't pretty much get summed up for the whole group. We're all still, I'm shocked today. I mean, the fact, I remember Dick Griffey said years ago, we laughed at him. We, we went, we had a little battle with Dick where we had to go to court. And he, you know, we got in a little mix up. But he told the judge, he said, man, these guys, they're going to sing till they're 80 years old. And we <laughs> laughed at him. But little did we know, he was right. You know, I mean, if anybody had told me that I would be, you know, I just turned 75 years old. I'm not ashamed to say it. And I pretty much, singing the same key I've been singing it all my life. You know, now I've had some ups and downs and some things that I'm not so proud of, but as far as vocally, if anybody had told me I'd be singing 54 years, I just wouldn't have believed it. Yeah. And so that's the greatest thing as far as I'm concerned. And like I said, if for the young people, that's what you need to look at. If we can do it, you can do it. Yeah. Great, great songs never go out of style. Yeah, and you're right. Yeah. You know, so how can everybody keep up uh, with it? Do you want to plug uh, anything where they can find out when that record's yeah, coming out? You can go to uh, thewhispers.com. Uh, we're on all of the platforms, uh, the Spotify, Apple. Uh, the lady that you talked to, Willette, uh, she's, you basically contact her and she can give you all the information on where we can be seen and heard, what we're doing. And uh, hey, our fans, uh, we love you for sticking with us. That's all we can say. <laughs> Well, well, thank you so much on their behalf for all the great music in these 50-plus years. And I hope there's a lot more still ahead. And thank you so much for doing this, guys. Really appreciate it.
Um, thank you, man. Thank you, thank so you for having us. We appreciate God it. God Take bless. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the Media Services section at FunkinStuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at FunkinStuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Wolfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.